Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So if you've never driven into Lismore, it's absolutely astonishingly pretty. And as you drive into it from the east of the county, it has this absolutely stunning castle that kind of dominates the skyline. And I think it's really almost the Hollywood image of what an Irish town might be like. There's a river running along to the left. There's all this gorgeous green parkland around it. And then you drive into the main street and it's, you know, really nice wide street with you know beautiful buildings. And then right in the middle of it is the Lismore House Hotel, which is the oldest purpose built hotel in the state. Last weekend, about 300 people gathered outside this historic County Waterford Hotel protesting over plans to use it as temporary emergency accommodation for asylum seekers. Locals had expected that the hotel, which has been closed since 2016 and had been undergoing renovation, would reopen soon for tourists. But they were told just days ago that this was no longer going to happen. So in a way, I suppose, it's a little bit like this shock you might get in Dublin if the Shelburne Hotel shut down and then a few years later was to reopen as a, as a direct provision centre. I think that's probably the level of significance that's attached to this, this building in this small town. Irish Times journalist Jennifer O'Connell has been at the protests this week and has been speaking to people on all sides of the debate. But what for me was really interesting about it was how other elements are coming into the town and trying to agitate. There you go, no. <laughs> Here's the Ukrainians now, lads. You're going to get lots more Ukrainians, lads. And because there isn't really a very clear voice from the government, there isn't really a lot of information there, it's really easy for people who want to stir up hatred to come in and exploit that information vacuum. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today... How and why people in Lismore took to the streets to protest. The state has already accommodated 73,000 people in the past year who have fled the war in Ukraine or made applications through the International Protection System. And that's at a time of a severe housing crisis. Government modelling says that an extra 19,500 refugees could arrive by the end of March, or more than 1,000 a week. The hunt for beds has spread across the state and protests have followed. And that's what's been happening in the Waterford town of Lismore. Jennifer, you've been there this week. Tell me what's going on. So the protest in Lismore, I think it, it's, a, it's really interesting because it's a very kind of nuanced, complex situation. And despite what some of the headlines about the protest there might lead you to think, it isn't a story of straightforward, knee-jerk, anti-migrant sentiment. 
So what's happened there is that on Monday, January, January the 23rd, the news broke that the hotel, which is located right in the middle of the town, that hotel has been under construction for about six months. And there was a good deal of excitement, I think, about it reopening. But the news that broke on, on uh, Monday, last Monday week, was that it is reopening, but not as a hotel for tourists. It's reopening as a direct provision centre. I think that news broke on WLR local radio and it flew around Facebook groups. Um, and I think it's fair to say that political representatives in the area, and I've spoken to a few of them, were kind of as surprised as anybody else. Um, and it, it kind of escalated very quickly. There was a lot of rumours. There were a lot of fears um, on Facebook and in other groups. Um, on Friday night, I started making calls to to Liz Moore. I'm located not too far away, about an hour away in, in Waterford City. And I spoke to people there. One of the people I spoke to last Friday was standing on the top of his van uh, with two placards, one which said, save our main street and no consideration, no consultation. Um, and his name was Brian Buckley. And he was standing there with a hot water bottle and a flask of tea. And he said, this is my last stand. I'm doing this to save Liz Moore. Um, and he said he was getting a lot of informal support from people stopping by. There's nobody giving us any answers here. Like, yeah. There's confusion, there's concern. There's, you know, they're giving a week and a half's notice. They're bringing in 10% of our population here and they're going to dump them onto yeah. the street. And there is no plan in place. Like, there's enough evidence out there about um, direct provision centres. And I, like, you've all read the reports from Amnesty International. And domestic and international reporting. But at that stage, there was no kind of formal protest planned in the town. You see, when you describe a bloke standing on top of his van with placards, I'm not seeing the nuance there, Jennifer. I you know, I, I'm not, you know, when I see crowds outside with placards, I'm not seeing nuance. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, and you see a sign like Save Our Main Street and you think, well, you know, what are you looking to save your main street from? But like a lot of these stories, when you get down there and you speak to people and you challenge them a little bit and you listen to their views, you realise, well, actually, you know, not every point that they're making maybe seems entirely reasonable to me, but they do have some like really valid, valid points. So, I mean, maybe I I should tell you a little bit more about the accommodation um, and about the place itself. So if you've never driven into Lismore, it's absolutely astonishingly pretty. And as you drive into it from the east of the county, it has this absolutely stunning castle that kind of dominates the skyline. And I think it's really almost the Hollywood image of what an Irish town might be like. There's a river running along to the left. There's all this gorgeous green parkland around it. Um, It has a few festivals. And then you drive into the main street and it's, you know, really nice wide street with, you know, beautiful buildings. And then right in the middle of it is the Lismore House Hotel, which is the oldest purpose-built hotel in the state. In 1797, I believe, or uh, in the late 18th century at any rate, it was built to accommodate guests of Lismore Castle, who were guests of the Cavendish family. So this hotel has been closed, though, since 2016. So it's not like suddenly tourists are being turfed out. Um, This hotel, which was this thriving uh, hub of the community up until last week, is now a centre for asylum seekers. That's not the case. That's not the case, no. So it it has been closed since since 2016. At that stage, it was a 29-bedroom hotel. It went on the market um, and it finally found a buyer in 2018, a planning application was submitted again in 2022 um, and it talked about it was going to, to become a hotel that was recognised both locally and nationally as a hotel of exceptional style and quality with a ballroom and a cafe and a bar and all of that. So there was a lot of excitement um, in the town, which had been hit quite badly by by COVID. You know, I walked along the main street yesterday and I think I counted eight empty shop fronts or, or, or premises Um 
So people felt that this was going to turn Lismore around, that, um, that, you know, that there would be somewhere for people to stay for the opera festival and for the literary festival. Um, and, you know, the hotel was taking bookings. There were weddings booked in and there were confirmations and communions booked in. So in a way, I suppose it's a little bit like this shock you might get in Dublin if the Shelburne Hotel shut down and then a few years later was to reopen as a as a direct provision centre. I think that's probably the level of significance that's attached to this this building in this small town. So the groups outside protesting. In Dublin, particularly in recent weeks, we've seen protesters and counter-protesters. What has been the situation in Lismore? So, I mean, that's exactly what I saw when I went down there. It very quickly emerged that um, that there were kind of two distinct groups and, and reaction to the hotel had kind of coalesced into two distinct groups. And so on the one hand, led by Brian Buckley, who was the man with the van that I was speaking to on Friday night, are what you might call the concerned residents. Their points, very broadly speaking, are that direct provision itself doesn't work, that this isn't the right place for a direct provision centre, um, they'll argue that the town is in dire need of a hotel and a hotel would kind of give it back the vibrancy that it lost um, and, and allow it to become the tourist town destination that, that by rights, you know, it should be. And the castle does have a lot of things going on mm. through the year, like they have been at the writing festival. Where do people stay? We've just recovered from COVID. How do you keep the shops going? How do you keep the little restaurants going? They're concerned about the number of people. Ultimately, there'll be up to 120 people uh, staying in the hotel, which is roughly about 10% of the population of the town. There's 1,200 people that live in the town. So that is quite a big increase overnight. They'll say that there aren't enough GP services, and that's a really big concern. There's, I believe, one GP in Lismore itself. There's one GP in nearby Capaquin. Doctor's surgery Capaquin is not taking people unless it's an emergency. He's not seeing... If I want to go yeah, to the he's not seeing anybody for the month of January. Because he's so busy. Because he's so busy. We, we, yeah. you, know, you know, what about doctors? What about, um, you know, there are potentially traumatised people arriving into the town. Nobody there has any idea what their needs might be. Um, and no, there's nothing coming from, from the government about it. So, you know, one of the there was a briefing document provided by Roderick O'Gorman's department um, to local TDs and councillors in the area. And it said is, you know, one of the questions that it answers is, are there are there any assessments provided to IP applicants to ascertain their needs or vulnerabilities? Um, and the response that, that the department gives is, yes, IPAS has a team working to, to provide vulnerability assessments. It should be noted that this team remains under considerable pressure in the context of the high numbers of arrivals and opening of a high number of new emergency locations. So, so you say IP, that's international protection, international just so they protection. are asylum seekers, because it seems to me that we have, in a sense, two groups of people with the Ukrainian refugees and then a much smaller number of international protection asylum seekers. Yeah, that's that's correct. And Lismore has taken in some um, Ukrainian refugees. I, I saw two of them on the street yesterday. I met somebody who has um, Ukrainians living in their house. And there's been no issue with that at all. They very much integrated really quickly into the community. Lismore is, it's not an insular town. You know, it is a town with a lot of international links. It has a lot of international residents. It almost has kind of a West Cork type feel to it in the sense that, there, you know, you hear a lot of different accents walking down the main street. So this isn't purely or certainly historically, it hasn't been a town that is close to outsiders that is suspicious of, of new people or anything like that. Our local representatives and, and our elected representatives, there's, there's been no satisfaction yeah. whatsoever. We haven't even been told. Like, you can't just land people here and say, look after these guys and integrate them there into your community. 
Like, how do Where's you know about that? Where's the framework? Where's the support? Where's, mm-hmm. where's totally you know, it's, it's... And any questions put to them... So I'm interested in the whole idea of consultation. We hear this word all the time. There has been no consultation. What does that mean? I mean, I think it's a really interesting question that that we need to talk about nationally. You know, what kind of consultation would be enough? I can understand that there may be a reluctance on the the part of the department to have uh, big meetings because you can see how that can be hijacked by the far right. And that has happened in Lismore in the past, actually. Um, And I saw it happen again on on Saturday. So I can understand that. But but I think, you know, within every community and I met some of them and, and, you know, and I do want to talk about the people that are there protesting for the other side that want to welcome and want to see um, refugees and people in need of asylum welcomed into their community and are absolutely all about what can we do to help. So there are leaders within every community in Ireland. There are people that will rally people behind them that have um, that have a strong influence, charismatic people, people who are very well connected, the kind of people that are already on the festival committee, on the Tidy Towns committee, um, on all of those committees. You know, for me, I think that what the government should be doing is going into places like Lismore, spending a little bit of time. It took me maybe a few hours, maybe maybe an hour or two hours on Friday evening to get the phone numbers for the people that I needed to talk to and to find out who these people are. Find out who these people are, sit down with them, talk to them about um, what the concerns might be. You know, what can we do to address that? And let those people advise them on what is the best way to, to make this happen in a seamless way to transition. Because the way it's being handled at the moment, which is just that the news comes out from Roderick O'Gorman's department, everybody gets it at the same time. The TDs are told, I don't think much quicker than anybody else. The local councillors find out at the same time and nobody is available to answer any questions. And 10 days later, it's up and running as a direct provision centre. And in the meantime, um, there's been this massive void of information into which disinformation can very quickly multiply and and take hold. And, you know, I saw that happen in Lismore. I, I witnessed this very sophisticated playbook. But where is the government's playbook? You know, they've had 20 years to get this right, and yet they still don't seem to know what to do. They don't seem to know how to put together a concerted communications effort. Um, But do you think it's fair, though, to say, Jennifer, 20 years in the context of essentially a firefighting exercise, a, a situation where if the government projections are right, between now and March, there's going to be 1,220 people entering the country looking for accommodation, asylum seekers and refugees. So is it fair to look back and say, oh, they've got 20 years to get this right? Is that fair? I mean, I think it is fair, Bernice, because, yes, we're in an absolutely in an emergency situation now. They need to find the alternative for people is homelessness. You know, they need to put people wherever they can and they need to find beds wherever they can. But along the way, they have had plenty of time to develop a strategy for how to integrate people into communities. And I think they've just been very lax about that. They've been very laissez-faire. And the communication that's coming out of um, of the department is really irritating people in Lismore and in other areas because they said it's, it's, it's kind of insulting, actually, to assume the worst of us and to assume that if you give us any information that we're going to be out there protesting and we're going to be out there with placards shouting that we don't want these people coming into our town. In fact, actually, you know, if you if you trust people to do the right thing and give them the information, you might find that there is a much bigger welcome waiting for them. So I think, you know, 
it, it, it's patronising and it's a little bit of a, offensive to communities to say that actually it's dangerous to provide them with information. Now, I understand completely that it's an emergency situation now and the emergency, as, as the department said, the emergency nature of the response required means that advanced communications are not as comprehensive or as early as we would like. And I completely accept that. But I do think they've had a lot of years to put in place a model that works for getting local communities on board. Um, and it's just a shame that it wasn't done because there are elements now that are able to exploit that void in information. So could you tell me about the other elements that were there? We're on the way out of uh, Lismore County Waterford. Uh, the videos on my Instagram. So on Saturday morning when I arrived down as I drove past the hotel, the only person that I could see protesting on the street was Brian Buckley, who was there standing on top of his van. Um, and then there was a couple of people that kind of gathered across the street and they were part of the Everybody is Welcome Here group and they were talking to Brian about his signage and the optics of it and what this the message this might be giving about Lismore but it was a very calm discussion and then suddenly uh, another couple of cars pulled up um, and a, seven or eight people got out of those cars and one of them was Derek Bly who's a member of a group that calls itself Ireland First There you go now <laughs> Here's the Ukrainians now lads you're going to get lots more you um, and his style is very loud very theatrical he has a slightly manic laugh he has a microphone um, and posters. And so he set up outside the hotel and started talking into his microphone. But he was getting no traction. Everybody who was out on the streets dispersed. Brian got down off his van because he didn't want anything to do with this group. Uh, locals all, all stayed away, other than the group who were there welcoming asylum seekers. So, you know, he got no support and he could have packed up and left, I think, Lismore at that point. But he was broadcasting live on Facebook, so he needed to make something happen. Um, so he turned on me as a journalist who was there kind of visibly interviewing people. I was just wondering, what publication are you from? The Irish Times. Why do you interview? Um, and he started sort of, he came at me on the street waving his selfie stick and he started shouting, you know, why are you interviewing the leftists but not the concerned citizens? Why do you interview them but not us? I'm here doing my job. Oh, you're, you're not doing your job if you're only getting one side. Now, at that point, I'd been there, all, you know, all morning and um, had maybe been there for an hour and a half. And I'd spent a lot of that time talking to concerned citizens, just not out in the street. Um, so and I did like just literally come from a lengthy sit down meeting with them. But he wasn't interested in, in hearing anything from me. And I didn't, to be honest with you, try and engage them. So he finished up by yelling at me, I'll make you famous. I got you. You'll be uh, you'll be famous later. You'll be famous later. And then he followed me down the street and he put all that out in his Facebook, which meant that I got a lot of a lot of tweets, um, a lot of really nasty communication over email, some comments on Facebook. I got called a prostitute, a bitch, a snotty witch, a liar, unethical. Um, and I found it really ironic that he has been complaining on his Facebook about protests that aren't really protests, but staged theatre. But that's an absolutely spot on description of what I saw him doing on Saturday. And Annoyingly, his strategy was really effective because I went back there on Monday. So two days later, I got back there. And when I got there, the very first people that I tried to speak to were the group of women standing opposite the hotel with the Protect Our Children posters. And they said, oh, you're Jennifer O'Connell. We're not talking to you because you're only here to report one side of the story. And I said, but I'm here, you know, holding a microphone, asking you to talk to me. So clearly I'm not only here to to report one side of the story. Um, and I challenged them on that. And we did end up having quite an interesting conversation but it, it, it was it was kind of disquieting to see how um, far Derek Bly's message can, can spread, even among people that would say that they wouldn't support anything that he has to say. The other thing that I saw him do um, 
there were two African men with suitcases who were walking down the street on Saturday, minding their own business on their way to the bus stop. And he turned on them and he was live streaming this on his on his social media again. And he started screeching something about Ukrainians. Um, but it turned out that these these two men were care workers from Mozambique um, who had jobs in Dungarvan and they had found accommodation that was closer to Dungarvan. So they were just moving. They were moving from you know one place that they were staying to somewhere closer to Dungarvan. And a, a local man who I spoke to gave them a lift. Um, but they were co-opted into his narrative. He described them, and it's still up there on his Facebook, as as two African men making their their way to their new accommodation, um, which is, I suppose, technically true. But it isn't, you know, what he was implying that they were going into the direct provision centre. So it's interesting to see how he takes whatever's happening on the ground and, and, and twists it um, and tries to turn it into uh, part of, you know, the narrative that he's trying to, to trying to spread, which is that there's some big conspiracy. Um, and then he follows up with requests for donations to his PayPal, his Revolut or Gifts and Go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So Jennifer, what do the locals standing outside the hotel with placards want? I'm not talking about the anti-immigration crew who turned up. I mean, the concerned residents. What's their end game? Well, I think, you know, they're, 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 like, as I said at the outset, there are the two groups. There's the concerned citizens group who are, and I'm not clear, you know, and I did ask them yesterday, how long are you going to stay here? You know, what do you want? What will happen when those people arrive? Are you going to still be here with your placards? Um, or are you going to now start making moves to, to welcome them? Because if they're here, they're here. And everybody is telling me that it's not about the people. But, the, you know, there is another group. And I think some of the media coverage of Lismore has given the impression that the whole town is out and there were 300 people out uh, opposed to this development and there were 300 people protesting against asylum seekers. And I think that's really unfair on the town, actually, because there is another counter protest. And these are people who are out with banners saying people seeking refuge are welcome in Lismore. How would they feel if they were in that situation? And anybody in the world can end up in that situation. You have to stand up and be counted and support the vulnerable. And those people are just, you know, really anxious to get on with welcoming them, integrating them, organising maybe, you know, uh, children's groups in the in the local library, organising knitting groups. You know, Lismore has done this before. There were Syrian people who came here, who came there, I think, in 2017 or 2018. Um, and the far right came in at that point and tried to orchestrate protests against them. And there was a huge backlash in the community to the far right. And they ended up raising 10,000 euros to help um, the, the displaced families from Syria. 
So, you know, Lismore has done this before, has a history of welcoming people. And, and there are a lot of people in the town who are just waiting to get some information about how best they can provide supports for the people that are coming into the hotel. So you're you're seeing on the ground what's going on. What would help? Would it help if somebody from central government came down? What would help calm the situation? I think the situation in Lismore is calm, to be honest with you. Like, I, you know... Even the people that were there with the signs saying um, save our children, they were very calm. And when you actually spoke to them about what they were concerned about, really the points that they were making were not that different to the group on the other side of the street that had banners saying people seeking refuge are welcome. You know, both groups are disappointed, understandably, at the loss of the hotel and both groups are really dismayed by the lack of communication. But, you know, it's just that one group are saying that their overwhelming feeling is that people seeking refuge need to be welcome and, and every town has to do its part. And now it's it's our turn and we're going to do our part. Um, and the other group are saying maybe there's a better solution still. Maybe there are other um, empty buildings that these people could be housed in. There's an empty convent on the outskirts of the town, which a lot of people suggested to me would be more appropriate and that the town keep its hotel. Um, but the situation in Lismore isn't... It isn't a, a situation where there's hostility. But what for me was really interesting about it was how other elements are coming into the town and trying to agitate it. And because there isn't really a very clear um, voice from the government, there isn't really a lot of information there. It's really easy for far right elements and for people who want to stir up hatred to come in and exploit that information vacuum. Do you feel this is going to be replicated elsewhere increasingly now as the weeks go on? I really do think that this is probably a microcosm of what's going to happen elsewhere in other towns of that size and, and, and bigger around the country. Um, and it's a real shame to see it happening and to see divisions emerging within communities as well as this kind of opposition to people who are just here seeking refuge and are, are you know, are, are within their rights to do so. You know, it reminded me in some ways of when I was traveling to the UK to report on Brexit. You know, I was hearing the same kind of stories about family members taking opposite sides on this issue. One person yesterday was telling me that a person in their family had taken a completely different point of view and had gone public with it. And they were really disappointed by that. And they weren't able to have a conversation about it um, within the family. And in a town with a population of 1200 people, it is sad to see neighbors and people from the same community standing across the road from one another with placards and and then people who pass by in their cars are expected to show their allegiance by beeping for one side or the other. So they're almost having to declare. And I think those kind of divisions, Bernice, can take a long time to heal. You know, for one group, the core issue comes down to these are just people, they're just families, and what are we so afraid of? And then the other group, I suppose, are a little bit more afraid of what they don't know. There's anger at the government. There is that fear of the unknown. They feel insulted to have been kept in the dark. And their unanswered questions have been feeding conspiracy theories. And like I said, I just think that the divisions in a place like Lismore may take a long time to heal. Well, thanks very much, Jennifer. I know you're writing about this for uh, Irish Times Weekend. The Weekend Review section this coming Saturday. This subject is going to it's going to go on. It's going to be as divisive for the next certainly for the next couple of weeks. So hopefully you'll come back into the studio and talk to us about it again. Thank you, Bernice. There's a far-right playbook at these protests and in a recent In the News podcast, crime correspondent Conor Gallagher showed us how it works. You'll find that wherever you get your podcasts. For more Irish Times journalism, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. That's all for this week. 
This episode was produced by Aideen Finnegan and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.